Music City Scene, a podcast for independent musicians and independent listeners. From the Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. Interviews with independent musicians telling their story behind their music and their journey. Where you can hear them and insight to their music. Tips on places to go and things to do when you are in the Music City. Here's your host, Tony Jenkins. Thanks for joining us today on Music City Scene. First, I want to thank Ronnie Crutcher for the intro that we will use for the Music City Scene podcast here in Season 1. This is a Ronnie Crutcher original called It's a Scorcher from the Crutcher album. In this interview, you will hear Darren Barnes and I interview Ronnie Crutcher. You will hear more in the interview about Ronnie and where to hear him. But before I start that, a couple of items of business here. I want to talk about a couple of locations in Nashville that you should check out. These are two venues that come up in the interview. I would be remiss not to point out to the listeners, those two locations are Layla's and Sambuca. Layla's is a Nashville honky-tonk row mainstay and staple that has seen many incarnations over the years. It is located right across from Bridgestone Arena, two doors down from Tootsie's. Recently, I found another podcast, Nashville Restaurant Radio, where you can hear an awesome interview with Layla from Layla's that will give you an overview of the history of this location. It goes back to Robert who owned Robert's Western World back in the day, a location I'm sure we'll get into on a later podcast. You can hear different music as in good different. Uh, Robert and Layla's are right there at the top. And in terms of Layla's and Robert's being different than any other Nashville honky-tonk, in terms of food and drink, they're probably the same as any other place. In terms of entertainment, I think you're going to find something that's different. You're going to find bands and musicians here that are performing covers, they perform their own independent music beyond your standard country music that you would hear in just about any bar in Nashville. Uh, in Layla's Bluegrass Inn, you're going to hear country, rockabilly, hillbilly rock, western Americana, newgrass, bluegrass, and a lot more. Performers that have played at Layla's include bands like Gypsy, Dean Alexander, BR549, Hank Williams III, the legendary Shack Shakers, the Drive-By Truckers, Gail Davies, Chris Scruggs, and Ralph Stanley. In this interview, Ronnie Crutcher talks about his time in Nashville and performing at Layla's with the band he is in, Hillbilly Casino. Uh, Ronnie and HBC have been performing at Layla's on Friday nights from 10 to close for nearly the last 15 years. So Layla's is an experience that I would highly recommend and you can find out more about Layla's at laylasnashville.com. The second place we're going to talk about is Sambuca. It also comes up in this interview with Ronnie Crutcher. Sambuca is located in the Gulch area of Nashville. It's about a five-minute Uber ride west of Honky Tonk Row. And if you're looking for a place to have a nice dinner, maybe dress up a little bit, listen to some music, maybe even dance, Sambuca is a place where you can do that. You know, the Gulch is known probably more for its food than it is anything else, but there still are several music venues there from Sambuca, the Station Inn, and several others. Um, but unlike other places in Nashville, Sambuca is really known for pairing its food with its entertainment. So if you come to town, you're looking for a place with good food, good music, 
a little dressier than you would experience down on Broadway, I highly recommend Sambuca. In the interview, you'll hear Ronnie Crutcher talk about the difference in playing a place like Sambuca compared to Layla's. What's the difference between the two locations? It's really going to be the atmosphere. And uh, Ronnie Crutcher and Hillbilly Casino play Sambuca on most Saturday nights in Nashville. You can check out Sambuca at sambucanashville.com. With these two items out of the way, let me introduce the interview from this episode with Ronnie Crutcher. Ronnie currently is with the Nashville-based rockabilly band Hillbilly Casino. He grew up in Florida. He moved to Nashville in 1995 to follow his dream of being a professional musician. He plays multiple musical instruments, the guitar, the banjo, the harmonica, mandolin, and the upright bass. He's been in many bands during his career. He was a member of Brian Setzer's band and has played all over the world. When things open back up from COVID, hopefully we can go see him on most Friday nights at Layla's and on Saturdays at Sambuca, playing with Hillbilly Casino. For those of you interested to pursue more music, Ronnie does lessons for all the instruments that he plays. Check him out on Facebook. Search Ronnie Crutcher, or it's... I think his Facebook handle is ronnie.crutcher.1. And you can find more out about Hillbilly Casino through Instagram and Facebook. Look for or search for The Hillbilly Casino. Thanks again for listening to Music City Scene. We're working to provide insight to independent musicians for the independent listener. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. If you want to learn more about Music City Scene, go to musiccityscene.com. Without further delay, Here's Ronnie Crutcher, the Crutcher-O. Here we are coming to you from G Town Studio A. You've got Tony. And B. Well, you I'm got in T- B. You got Tony in Studio A, and you got Darren coming to you from Studio B in G Town. We have two studios here, aka Zoom. And we've got Ronnie Crutcher, our guest, coming to you from another place in the world on Zoom. Studio C. Ronnie's That's in right. Clarksville. Ronnie's in Clarksville, man. Ronnie's in Clarksville. I'll call that Clarksville Studio C. Ronnie, we're, we're focusing on uh, stuff around Nashville, obviously Music City. So kind of tell us, I know you're from Florida, kind of tell us when you moved to Nashville and what kind of prompted that move. I remember the day, <laughs> April 10th, 1995. I was playing in bands down in Florida. I started playing bands in 1990. Like I was playing in a band forever with friends in high school or whatever. I actually met some people at the very end of my honeymoon, tail end of my honeymoon at this little country music jamboree. And started playing with these people. And they were all like 
my dad's age, you know. <laughs> but it was my first real professional band. That band probably lasted maybe a year, I guess. And then I'm, you know, just kept moving on to different bands or whatever our band would split up. I ended up with this guy named Steve Hornbeek that um, had spent some time playing in Nashville a lot. He was from Tampa, and I'm, I'm from Lakeland, Florida, which and we're, we were about 30, 40 miles apart. He had been playing for Lee Greenwood. I got in that band. We were together maybe a year and a half. Just there was a little bit of frustration going on down there, certain clubs and stuff like that. And, and so he decided that he was going to get back into uh, playing in Nashville and find a gig with an artist, which wouldn't be a big deal for him because, you know, he's a great player, great singer. You know, he was a, he was a piano player and uh, just incredible harmonies and stuff like that. Professional. He's still a good buddy of mine. He's, he's still making things happen. I was going to say, when you're playing in Florida before we get up here, what kind of music are you doing? Because I know you got a very diverse taste and, and range. You can play all kinds of styles of music. So what, what kind of music are you doing at this point? In Florida, I was playing country like playing in country bars. So the first band that I started playing, it was on like old country, like, and I didn't even really listen to it. Like, of course I was aware of it, but I was more into rockabilly, stray cats, Jason and the Scorchers, that sort of thing. I was trying to do that sort of thing. But I thought being in this band with these guys would expand my musical horizons a little bit. And so, and I liked country probably because of Jason and the Scorchers, you know, they, they were kind of my gateway into appreciating country. So played all like Merle Haggard and Hank Williams Jr. and all the typical classic country stuff. Hank Williams, and Gene Watson, all that sort of. Uh, and every band that I was in, in Florida, every professional working band, they were all country bands. And so we would play old honky tonk and then, you know, other bands, we'd play more modern stuff on the radio, which, you know, in my opinion, country music was a lot better back then on the radio. But yeah, so this guy, Steve, we, we did more of a pop country type deal. Harmonies were a big thing. And so, you know, we do Brooks and Dunn. We do Restless Heart, that sort of thing, you know. We do stuff that was on the radio. He decided, you know, he got he ended up getting a gig with Faith Hill. And, oh, wow. um, yeah, and she was, her second album out was out, and she was, she was starting to blow up. So he got that gig with her. And we were sitting in, we were sitting in this club. It was a big boot-scooting country dance club with a ginormous dance floor. <laughs> we were on break. And we were sitting at a bar and I was just kind of lamenting my lot in life at the time or professional lot in life and tell him, you know, well, I guess this is, I'm going to be just stuck playing these places, you know, it's, it's fun being in a band. And he's like, he just said, well, why don't you move to Nashville? Didn't think I was cut out to play in Nashville. And he's like, he goes, if I didn't think you were good enough, you wouldn't be playing in a band with me for these last year and a half, two years. So things just worked out. They kind of fell in my lap. And 10 days after that conversation, I was literally living in Nashville 10 days later. So I transferred jobs. I worked for Haberty's Furniture in their warehouse and such delivery. And I, I transferred jobs. So they, and they had four stores in Nashville at the time. I had buddies that were already living up here from, from that area I was from that were playing with artists already. And so I moved in with them a few months later, my, um, wife at the time and my um, oldest daughter who was my only child at the time they moved up and I did some auditions people like Susie Boggus other up and coming unsigned bands and stuff yeah. like that and uh, nothing really happened with that the Susie Boggus gig was promising but it didn't it didn't happen 
I was a little too green. <laughs> I had the chops. I could sing, had the chops, but I was I just moved to Nashville and I think they didn't want to gamble on a on someone with not much road experience. A wife and young child. Now you mentioned Jason the Scorchers. For those who don't know, Jason the Scorchers is a smoke and they get classified as a country band, but they were kind of on that leading edge of what's probably considered what Ronnie alt country or roots country music and tell the story they've got a great yeah at the time everybody was calling it country punk which i think a you know wasn't a bad way to describe it a lot of raw energy and but as they describe it you listen to it now it's just it's just rock and roll <laughs> no no it is rock and roll it's it's very uh, i don't want to say southern rocky it's got a great georgia satellites feel to it just in your face guitar and it's a band you look up to you moved to Nashville. Tell the story about calling their guitar player and warning yeah. her out of the phone book. This is yeah. a great story. I moved to Nashville, and I think the second day I lived here, first day I get there, I'm hanging out with my buddies. We go eat some barbecue and whatnot. I go to work. I come home second day. Um, I'm like, oh, yeah, Jason Scorchers from Nashville. And I just happened to just like, I'm going to see if Warner Hodges' name is in the, the phone book. In the Nashville directory. There were still phone books back up. then. I'm sorry? I said there were still phone books back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, you know, like <laughs> two, three inches books. thick, right? Mm -hmm. Like in Nashville's phone book was huge. I could barely rip it in half. Um, <laughs> so I looked it up and, you know, sure enough, there's his name right there, Warner Hodges. And I'm just, I just called him. I think his wife at the time answered the phone. Just, I'm a nerdy, geeky fan, but I love this band so much. Because you live on that peninsula. I live right in the middle of the state, so it's not like Tennessee where you're surrounded by seven other states and bands come through all the time. There was no musical cities. I mean, they had bands, but it's all like classic rock, country, whatever. But you didn't, you rarely had great bands come through. I got to see the Stray Cats once. I saw, I never got to see Jason and the Scorchers. And it's funny because the closest I did, they came through with Bob Dylan. Tickets were $25, which to me at the time, like having almost no money, I'm like, I can't afford to go to that. And I don't want to watch him play for 30 minutes. So I, I called and, and he wasn't home at the time. He was at work or whatever. Warner, you know, he, the Warner has, um, I don't know if he has the business still. He might, he's a contractor, like builds houses and additions to buildings and such carpentry and electrical, all that stuff. Anyway, so he calls me back the next day. And, which I thought was really cool. And we just talked a little, little bit. And I asked him if it'd be okay if I'd come over and, and meet him and talk to him a little bit. And he said, sure, man, and gave me his address. And he just lived like maybe two or three miles down the road. It was super cool. And we just sat there in his apartment and just talked and talked and talked. And he, he was just as nice as he could be. We used the term germing, being a germ, G-H-E-R-M. <laughs> -E yeah, we've heard that. We've heard that. Yeah. And I, when I moved to Nash, Nashville, my buddies were like, you know, they talked about the whole germ status. They're like, it's okay to be one when you first move here, but it's you got to grow out of it. You can't be trying to suck up to you know, all these artists and stuff like that. And I lived in Bellevue. I, when I first moved there and was living with those guys, I lived in Bellevue. And so many like country singers and stuff lived in that area. I would see them in Kroger. You know, the Kroger was right across the street. I'd go over there and... You'd see Leroy Parnell walking across the parking lot or I'm standing next to Susie Boggess in the frozen food section or the guys from Sawyer Brown loading kitty swimming pool on top of their SUV or something. You saw that all the time. Billy Joe Shaver was my neighbor in my apartment complex. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. I, you know, met him. Just me and my one of my roommates were just walking, you know, doing a little workout walk because, you know, a lot of hills in that area. And 
he goes, Hey man, that's, that's Billy Joe Shaver right there. He was out of his truck and we're like, Whoa, <laughs> and super nice guy goes in the house, gets us some live CDs. That was before his son passed away. But yeah, so yeah, I went to Warner's house. He showed me some stuff on guitar. We talked guitar. I think he liked that. I could play like a, I knew all these Jason and Scorcher songs and he was just, I think he was kind of impressed because, and he even told me, so he goes, one thing that's cool about you being such a big fan is you can play. <laughs> he goes, a lot yeah. of guys come over and want me to show them how to play Smoke on the Water. <laughs> and that's the, he literally said that. And, you know, I've just, I've lived and died by this music. And he would show me the ways that he would do it, the proper way he did it in the studio or this and that. But and would tell me stories about certain songs taking him maybe... 24 hours to get a lead down from start to finish because he wanted it to be so epic and it was the lead to a song called when the angels cry and just such an epic lead told me how it, it took him a super long time to get it down from the idea to finished on tape and it was it was just super epic and it was it was a great experience man i was just i was over the moon getting to meet him like he's just, just one of my big heroes still yeah. is yeah and he's a good guy right that that's another part of it too that you when you when you do that you don't know how guy. they're going to be you don't you don't know how they're going to be you're not you don't know are they going to be standoffish are they going to be dismissive but it, hey come over yeah. talk guitar and not only that you want to hear or learn how to play jason the scorcher songs or ask about specific songs so you I mean you're truly into into what they're doing right oh yeah yeah so you're oh, in totally. so this is 95 you're kicking around nashville how do we get from 1995 to this incredible band you're in called Hillbilly Casino? How did that happen? How did you meet those guys? Kind of take walk us through that part of your life. So I, when I moved to Nashville, I immediately started getting audition calls to audition for this artist or that artist, and I was auditioning for Susie Boggess. Like I said, I thought I would get that gig, didn't get it. I answered an ad. I, there was an ad in the, I think it was the Nashville scene. Maybe the Nashville scene or the, or the little, I think maybe the Tennessean used to have a little weekly, like like a weekend section and stuff like that. I saw an ad in there, this guy, that looking for musicians to start a rockabilly band. I answered the ad and it was this, this uh, British guy playing guitar and I was playing guitar and I had my Gretsch over there. I was Super huge fan of Brian Setzer. I had my uh, big orange Gretsch guitar. Went over to his house. He had an acoustic. We sat there and just jammed and stuff. And he, he was a great guitar player. You know, we both seemed to be well-versed in our rockability. And so I owned an upright bass, and I decided that I was going to learn to play it properly. I had the idea, but I had never really attempted it. And so I got it set up, learned how to play it. And within a, a few months, you know, I was, I was ready to go. I mean, we were... Already, I, I brought it to his house. We were already practicing, so it was just totally organic, very new thing. Got with a few other musicians, I auditioned some drummers. We got this other guitar player that ended up not working out. And we started playing as a four-piece, you know, different places around town and stuff. Little clubs, little private parties, this and that. That band was called Tabasco Cat. We did all right. We were playing. We ended up opening for Brian Setzer in Nashville. They had this big festival this summer festival every week on thursday nights it was called dancing in the district and it was down right down on the cumberland behind you know you know where broadway sits right off first street right there on the river they had a big stage set up on the river itself we did that anyway without getting into the whole setzer thing 
while the, while that band was playing around town, Tabasco Cat, there was there were other bands playing in town. There was a that that would come from out of town and play across the street. There was a band called the Blue Moon Boys, and the um, the singer from that band was this guy named Nick Roulette. And you know, I he'd come over to our gigs or whatever, and then when we get done, we go over to their gigs, and they they were incredible, just incredible band. Guitar player Kenny Taylor was uh, just amazing, and Nick, you know, was a young guy, early twenties, just tons of energy, funny. The drummer for that for Hillbilly Casino, he was he was actually our second drummer. He's been with us for shoot ten years now, or at least nine. Him and this other guy named Chris Scruggs, who's the grandson of Earl Scruggs, came to a gig of ours one time at this punk club uh, called Lucy's Record Shop, I believe. And just <laughs> little nerdy kids, they look like two little Buddy Holly impersonators, <laughs> and super nice guys. So that's how I got to know Matthew Warren, our our drummer. The bass player, Jeff Fireball, was he was just kind of hanging out. Jeff's from Washington State, and he was in the Army at Fort Campbell. When he got out of the Army, he stayed living in, well, he was living in Clarksville, but he, he, he moved to Nashville. And so Jeff wasn't really, Jeff was a guitar player. Playing, he played in this like punk ska band called Java Christ, which I knew nothing about at the time. I've never heard that band. Still to this day, haven't heard that band. The two guys, the two guys, Chris Scruggs and Matthew Arn, they they started this band called the Hoptown Tigers. And they went, Chris Scruggs played guitar, Matt played drums, obviously. And they would get all these different bass players, but no bass players would ever last. And then I go in there to Layla's one night, Layla's on Lower Broadway, and I see Jeff in there playing bass. I'm like, son of a gun, man, check that out. You know, and he's... In the learning stages, he couldn't even play, couldn't get all the way through a song before he'd have to stop and rest because it was just killing him. Jeff? Upright bass is a very, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, upright bass is a very physical instrument, you know. And well, he's he a physical guy. To, he'd have to stop for like five, ten seconds and then jump back into it. But What's amazing stuck. about this is that, for those that don't know, Jeff went on to join a pretty popular band at one point called BR549 as their right. bass player. <laughs> right. So that's what's crazy to me. I've never heard this story. Yeah. Uh, All right. Oh yeah, yeah. Jeff, tell you, uh, you know, and he, Jeff would say he used to listen to like you know like me and Dave Rowe, who played with Johnny Cash, Dwight Yoakam, Tom Jones, all these different. But Jeff stuck it out, stuck with it. He was playing playing with all these different people. Jeff and I got in a band down the road after Tabasco Cat broke up. This guy named Slick Andrews, just like all rockabilly, old, old honky tonk country. That band went through a lot of changes, this and that. Ended up taking a little sabbatical when my when my youngest daughter was born from playing. I probably didn't play for, gosh, six months, maybe a year. At least playing out live. I always played at the house. Actually, the, the sabbatical yeah, was when Tabasco Cat broke up. Six months, maybe a year later, I started playing with Jeff in this band. And it went through a lot of changes. And then we kind of went our separate ways here and there. I, was, I wasn't playing out professionally or anything. I was being a stay-at-home dad. I had three young daughters. While, while I was playing with Jeff and, and uh, Slick Andrews, I, I met a guy from France in the in the club there at Layla's. I ended up going over to France and playing as an artist, you know, as a solo act. Well, you know, with a band from over there backing me up, that, that gave me a, a pretty good push. Hold on a minute. Where was this in France? It was in, there was a little town there called, it was near Bordeaux. So it was near the, the southeast coast, I think. The town was called La Ferté Bernard. Like Bernard, but you know how the French, they got to have something to not pronounce. So, La Ferté Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love them. I love, I love my French friends, but yeah, the language is something else. How long were you um, in France? 
I was the first time I went there was 10 days. That's the first time I'd ever really been out of the country. I'd been to Mexico, but that didn't really count because it was like Cancun, which, you know, everybody's a tourist. <laughs> I count it, but I don't count it. It's not like just, it's not like going to Mexico City. And But yeah, I went there for 10 days. I was totally enamored with the country. I just, I loved it. I was learning to speak French, blah, blah, blah. I loved the food. I loved, everybody was so nice. That was in the smaller towns. Paris was something else. Paris, the it's like a big city, like New York. It's like, Get the hell out of my way. Yeah. Did you ever do <laughs> you the, Do you ever try the moufrit or the uh, formidables? What's that now? The mussels and French fries and the formidables, the big beers. I have not had the mussels in France. I would love them, though. I I love seafood. And uh, I, I have, well, you know, I have, I have had that later down the road. The last time I went to France, which was four years ago, I did. Oysters, the size, literally the size of my hand out of the shell. Yeah. Literally that. But I'm not, not making that up at all. Oh yeah, the fries, the beers, all that stuff. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I drank pretty much every alcoholic beverage they had in France when I was there the first time. <laughs> well, yeah, I just had uh, to ponder on that for a second because I'm a big fan. I've been to France a couple of times and oh yeah, I love, love it. it. I love it. Yeah, um, I don't know if you ever had the drink there called Pastis. Yeah, you ever had yep. that? Yep. Ah, I got so drunk off that one night, <laughs> and I'm not trying to sound like you know Mr. Party Drunk Guy, but I dude, that's not good. I got really you know how it is so it's 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 a clear or it's like an amber color it's like looks like whiskey or something tastes and like pour a tiny bit into a glass fill the rest of it up with room temperature water <laughs> like they do in europe i got so drunk <laughs> and i remember i went and like we were at a campsite but they had a, like all these little trailers there and so, so that's, little, a, that's what like, they call and, a gypsy a gypsy place there so well, it wasn't like caravans. It wasn't like those little things. It was like almost like a trailer park kind of trailer, but, you know, not as small as a caravan, but not as big as a big double wide or whatever. It was tiny, big enough to say you were camping and you could go there and play shuffleboard at a pool, blah, blah, blah. You could play bocce ball, which they call uh, lapitant, you know, bocce ball with yep. the, the heavy little balls there that you try to knock. It's like marbles, really. Um, giant marbles. It is. That's basically, basically what yes. it is. It's it's that's pretty much what it is. You try to knock their mar their their ball out of the little thing there. So <laughs> I'm drinking these drinks and I, I go in a trailer and I go in the bathroom. I'm I'm so drunk and I get sick and I'm like hanging my head out the window, throwing up out of the window. <laughs> and I I hear friends there, like these French women, and I hear knocking on she goes, Avoir Ronnie and I'm like, Avoir <laughs> you know and so I asked my buddy the next day, I said how many of those drinks did I have? He goes, I think maybe 30. <laughs> oh, 30 drinks. That's what he said. I said, no. 30. I said, not that many. I said 30. And I was like, I made sure he understood the English equivalent of what he, you know, he goes, oh, we, 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 but no, <laughs> that's what he said. I was too drunk to, to argue with him. Getting back to how Hillbilly Casino came together. I was playing with Jeff and Slick Anders, these guys. There was another guy named Harry Fontana who was just like, he owned Lower Broadway, his band, Tennessee Tone Boys. They packed a club out. It was shoulder to shoulder when he would play at this old club called Wolfie's across the street from Wayless. He was a big deal. He had Dave Rowe playing with him, you know, from Johnny Cash, uh, Maxwell Schaff, uh, who was a seasoned drummer, um, Ernie Sykes, who, well, Ernie Sykes was before Dave Rowe, but Ernie Sykes played with Bill Monroe and all these other artists. Some great guitar players playing with him. He he started playing guitar himself, like lead guitar. He was playing acoustic to start. But I think maybe I was playing with Harry, and, and Nick Roulette comes into Layla's. I was playing bass for Harry by that time. 
Nick Roulette comes into Layla, sings a song. He's talking about wanting to put a band together, like BR549. I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm not really into that. I'm like, everybody's doing that BR549 thing. Great band, but you know, a lot of imitators. And I'm like, I ain't into that. But it gives me a copy of the CD that the Blue Moon Boys put out called Sticks and Stones. And I'm listening to that. And it's like all this neo-rockabilly just... And I, I told him, I said, dude, if that's what you're going to do, that's I want to be a part of that. I want to play guitar in that. That's what I'm all about. I started playing with him. Uh, he had Chris Casello, and you know who Chris Casello is, another great guitar player that lives in Nashville. He's uh, moved back and forth a couple times, but I think he's back in Nashville. But, you know, incredible. Probably one of the best guitar players I've ever met. He was playing with him, but I, you know, I told Nick, I was like, hey, man, I'll be your permanent guitar player if you want. And Chris had all kinds of gigs, so I ended up getting to get playing with Nick. After Jeff left BR Fire for Nine, he was in that band by that time, just constantly on the road touring, and he ended up leaving that band. And I talked to him about joining up with us, which he did. And so. And you guys were Tabasco was, uh, Cat at that time? No. This was, this was a new band. This was Nick Roulette's Hillbilly Casino. Oh, what's that? Like the second. Nick Roulette, like Nicholas, um, yep. and then Roulette, his stage name, obviously, Hillbilly Casino, which I didn't care for the name personally, but I'm, you know, who am I to get him, start playing with a guy and tell him he's got to change this and that. But, you know, I was just happy to be playing guitar and doing music that I love because I've been playing bass in Tabasco Cat. Guitar is my first love. And Ronnie, this is what year? This is, this is maybe 2000. This is 2004. Okay. Okay. So 2004, like they, Nick was hosting this thing at the Mercy Lounge in Nashville uh, called Juke Joint Mondays. It was just a bunch of different guys. We were all down there jamming. It was so fun. They had a core band, but anybody could come sit in. It was just an all night party every Monday night, but never a lot of people coming in. You know, every now and then you'd have a good crowd, but it just wasn't making the, the place any money. But but we had Jeff playing with us by that time. And so, you know, for a while, it was just me and Nick. And we had we were getting different rhythm sections. We had Dave Rowe on bass. We had his son, Jerry, playing drums with us sometimes. Sometimes Maxwell Schaff. Sometimes Jimmy Lester from Low Straight Jackets. All these different people. And then Jeff became a permanent member of the band. We, uh, we found an ad looking for a drummer. And it was this guy named Andrew Dixon. Um, never really played rockabilly, but... Super nice guy, just very enthusiastic. We got we got him in the band, and that was the start of the Hillbilly Casino. Like that was the original members, and we played every chance we got, and we stayed busy. We got on the road right about the time that Hillbilly Casino was forming. After we had the core of the band, the original band, I got a call to audition for Brian Setzer. And his bass player, who's actually back with him, this guy named Mark Winchester, Brian had put out a rockabilly album, like just hardcore rockabilly tribute to Sun Records. Mark Winchester, great upright bass player from a band called the Planet Rockers, he, and he was playing in the orchestra with Brian as well when Brian blew up. Like Mark played bass on Jump Jive and Well and stuff like that. Wow. Um, so, so he did Woodstock then with him. He did. He yeah, sure did. Yeah. 
So they recorded that album. I come home from piano lessons with my daughters. And this was back in the day when everybody still had an answering machine. I check my answering machine and I get a message on there. One's from the drummer from my old band. He goes, dude, somebody's looking for you. <laughs> and he goes, you get a call. You'll know when you get the call. And so just be prepared. And then I get a call and it's like, oh, I'm so-and-so. I'm, I'm one of the managers for Brian Setzer. And he's looking for a bass player to take on his tour, his European tour. And I was like, holy cow. Wow. So, yeah, this is where it comes full circle because this is based on your opening for them with Tabasco Cat, correct? Right. Yeah. Yes. Now, they, they couldn't think of who, when Mark left, Brian's not really a scene guy. You know, Brian, he don't know who's playing bass out there. That's just my opinion. I mean, Brian's not somebody that goes to a bunch of festivals and checks out other bands and stuff like that, especially playing the same kind of music. But he goes, I mean, Brian told me this himself. He goes, yeah, I was, I was telling the guys, man, there was this, there was this band that opened for us in Nashville and they called Tabasco Cat and they had this bass player and he was, he was pretty good. And I was like, maybe we should try to find that guy. So, you know, they're like doing Google searches, <laughs> Tabasco Cat. They find out my name, Ronnie Crutcher. They Google my name. They get my phone number. And I'm just like, beside myself my girls are standing right there they're little like 10 and 5 and my i think my yeah my youngest daughter year or two old for three weeks i did nothing but play brian setzer music stray cats frontwards and backwards upside down flew out to palm springs california and auditioned with him and bernie dressel the drummer and maybe the third song and brian's like hey bernie i think we found our man and so i was just you know ecstatic beside myself they, they still had another guy to audition who they wanted to, you know, as a formality, I asked one of Brian's managers, like, should I call my wife and tell her I got the gig? He goes, just hang on. He goes, you got the gig, but just just <laughs> wait. Just wait. Just let's get this, you know, this formality out of the way. Let's audition the guy. And then Brian thinks he likes this guy. The drummer, Bernie Dress Dressel, was like, I don't know. I kind of like the other guy. If you want my opinion, I think the other guy was more what we need. Brian's like, all right, we'll take that guy. <laughs> well, hang on. And for non-musicians out there, it is key that the drummer is in sync with the bass player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of weight right there when the drummer says, wait a minute, I, it's more with this other guy. It, it's a yeah. feel. It's just something that being up front as a guitar player and vocalist that you don't, you don't always get. But the drummer gets yeah. it, right? So that's, that's yeah. the rhythm. That's what holds it down. Yeah. I got Bernie Dressel to thank for that gig, uh, you know, for really, you know, sealing the deal, so to say. So I remember, um, you know, Brian's manager, uh, he goes, just go back to the hotel, chill out, we'll get in touch with you. So I go to the hotel, and it's just old-timey, like, Palm Springs Hotel. I mean, you know, Palm Springs, that's Bob Hope lived there, and Bing Crosby. I mean, this is ritzy village. But I'm standing in this old retro hotel that had been around forever. I'm staying there, and they every night they had, you know, a little pool party, and they free drinks and snacks. So I'm just sitting out by the pool drinking a beer. It was surreal. I see Brian Setzer walk in with Bernie Dressel, the manager, Neil Schroeder. <laughs> and Brian goes, hey, pal, just, just thought we'd come on over and tell you you got the gig. And I was <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> so, you know, we just kind of sat there by the pool and drank some beer and talked, and I was just, you know, I was just beside myself. It, and it was really good, so I... Got the gig. I'm super excited. Came back, I don't know, about three weeks later and did some rehearsals. We ended up going to, um, we went to Europe for a month. And it was just, it was the greatest thing ever. For someone like me that loved Brian Setzer, loved the Stray Cats, loved Rockabilly, wasn't trying to be a scenester. You know, for me, it was all about the music. I mean, I did the whole look and all that kind of stuff, but it was more than playing dress up. I really loved the music. And I, you know, played it on guitar and on bass and on drum. And when I got the gig, everybody's like, man, if anybody deserved to get that gig, it was you. 
And I had that gig for four years, over a period of four years. We didn't do, we did a lot of stuff. We didn't do a lot of touring. We did a tour of Europe. We did a tour of Japan, which was incredible. Europe was incredible. We did a bunch of one-offs here and there. We did a New Year's Eve show in Anaheim at the House of Blues. We did the Doheny Blues Festival, you know, headlined that. That was incredible. We we opened for Chris Isaac. That was my last gig with him. But yeah, we played we played a little club in Minneapolis when he lived there. I hope it's not burned to the ground now. <laughs> Lee's Liquor Oh, no kidding, right? So we're, we're taping this as the city of Minneapolis is going through some, cha- some challenges oh, and some protests that's really stressing that city. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Brian lives up there, a suburb called Orono, probably a good bit of not too close to where everything's happening. <laughs> when I tell people that are from Minneapolis, I say, oh, yeah, you know, Brian Central lives in Orono. They're like, well, figures. <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of print. I guess it's like Germantown. You know, right, right, or, right, 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 right. Or, um, <laughs> or maybe like, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Or like Franklin, Tennessee or Cool Springs. You know, it's just a nice, nicer yeah. part yeah. of Minneapolis. Right. So, um, so you're in. So you're in Hillbilly Casino at this time. You get yeah, the Setzer the gig. Was- you get the Setzer gig, and then something cool really happens, and that's where I got introduced to Hillbilly Casino. So take us from you get the Setzer gig, and then how that ties into Hillbilly Casino. I did toward Brian Hillbilly Casino. We were together, but 2004, basically, we, we had formed. By 2005, I'd had that gig with Brian. But 2005 is when we had the permanent members of the band. Flying High, the gig with Brian, and Jeff's gig with BR5 for 9. BR5 for 9 was really, really popular at one point. So the band had tons of street cred. And Nick, the Blue Moon Boys, anybody that had seen that band knew that they were a great live band and a force to be reckoned with. So we, we had all kinds of street cred, whatever. I'm coming home one day from somewhere. I'm checking my mail. I get a phone call from this guy. I think his name was John Bruton, maybe. I don't know. It might have not been him. might have been another guy. Book the Ryman and asked me if we wanted to open for Brian Setzer on a Christmas tour. I was like, hell yeah, we want to open <laughs> for Brian. He goes, well, he goes, why don't you call his management and see if it's all right? I'm like, sure. You know, I'm sure it will be. I call and Brian's manager, his main manager, <laughs> wasn't that keen on our band. I got certain I got certain certain ideas about that, but I'm like, okay, and I'm sitting there trying to reason with this guy, but I'm like, well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna call Brian. I'm gonna go over his head and talk to Brian. So I called Brian. Brian goes, Yeah, why don't you do the whole tour? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so we ended up only doing seven shows. Logistically, I guess we couldn't do every show. But yeah, so we ended up opening up for him and going around playing all these theaters and such. And I think that's where maybe we met in Kansas City. Darren, yeah, that- yeah, yeah. So that's so that's when I saw Hillbilly Casino for the first time. And being in Wichita, nobody really liked rockabilly. I didn't right. have any friends that were into it. <laughs> I drove up to Kansas City with some friends. What year was this? See- Man, Ronnie, I'm going to say this is probably 07, 08, maybe? It was 2006. 2006. Okay, yeah. I had just gotten back from Japan. It was like I got I got home from Japan like two or three days after Halloween. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't. I didn't know there were bands doing this. I I yeah. was blown away, and and that's I don't I don't I can't even remember what you had in the merch booth. I'm like, I'll take it, and that was kind of we just had life. like one shirts. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I. That was my introduction to Hillbilly Casino. It it really was, and I was yeah. I was just I was blown away. Nick can sing. Nick can dance. Jeff is phenomenal on bass. 
you know, you got D on drums at the time and here's Ronnie yeah. up there just freaking smoking on this guitar. And I, I was blown away. And my buddy Rick, who I was at with the show, we're still dear friends. His son was in just an upcoming guitar player. And he's like, I don't, where do I hear this at? And, he, and his son was probably 14 or 15 at the time. So he was very impressionable. And he was just blown away by what you guys were doing. And that really sent me down this rabbit hole of Hillbilly Casino, right? So you guys released a, a DVD of kind of a behind the scenes or a documentary yeah. and Tony, yeah. I, I loaned it to Tony. It's since way out of print, but I loaned it to Tony. And then, you know, that's kind of where we are today. I'm but. selling it in Japan on the black market. <laughs> Yeah, on, uh, uh, on the dark web, it's yeah. uh, man. You can get anything, man. I when I went to Japan, there's a store, a little music store there, and it is nothing but bootleg videos, which yeah. is nothing now. This was before cell phones. I mean, I think well, cell phones existed, but not smartphones, and you still could not legally record a concert or a video. And man, you go into this store, and it's like I don't care who it was. If it's let's say I want to see Depeche Mode on the 90 whatever one tour and it's like oh right here you know and um, what date what date do you right, want to see right yeah and so I just like loaded up you know and because we were with Setzer's band they just gave me everything I mean you go to Japan you play I was apparently somewhat famous in Japan because by osmosis of playing with Brian Setzer so you go in all these music stores they know they know you're there with Brian Setzer. They know a lot of things about you that, you know, would almost make you uncomfortable that you knew they knew. <laughs> you go to pay for stuff, they're like, oh, no, it's free for you. You take it's a gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tony, you probably don't know this. It was the Brian Setzer band featuring Ronnie Crutcher. That's how that's how popular it was. But no, so you I see. Mean, but like Bernie and, and um, Kevin or Robbie, whoever was playing piano at the time. I mean, we were all just like, oh my God, it's Robbie, Robbie Chevrier, you know, or it's Kevin McKendry or whatever, you know, everybody was famous. You, we would walk down the street and you hear people go, Bernie, Bernie, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, but that, but, but yeah. that exposure gave you kind of a broader audience base, right? For what you're doing today. Yeah. Right. So let's, oh, yeah. so let's talk. So you guys have, have the band together. You've done the such a thing. I don't want to say on the side, but you've done the such a thing in addition to Hillbilly Casino and you, right. and you have made a great name for yourself down on Broadway, a great mm -hmm. name for yourself on Broadway. Kind of talk about what it's like playing for the Nashville quote unquote scene playing Broadway, which is where everybody wants to go. You're playing Layla's. You've had that residency for how many years on Friday nights. It, it's, me moving to Nashville, it was one of the highlights, man. It, it is it is something I do. Uh, and this COVID thing, this is the longest I have not seen a Hillbilly Casino show in the five years I've lived here. Well, right? and, and before he answers, let me say this. You know, Darren introduced me to you guys, shoot, uh -huh. four years ago, probably. Uh -huh. yeah, whenever we met, I was like, you got to go see these guys. Yeah. And, dude, I'm, I'm going to say this. If people out there that are listening to this don't know Hillbilly Casino, if you don't know Ronnie Crutcher, you're missing something here. <laughs> it's special. No, well, and it's I a thing. Find out. <laughs> no, no. It, it's a thing where everybody that comes to town, we take everybody down there when you guys are playing. Because and I do, too. It, it, it's something that that people are not going to experience in Nashville, especially down on Broadway, right? So right. talk talk to us a little bit about playing on Broadway. What's it like playing for a an audience that consistently turns, right? There is a group, and I've seen it every time I go down there, because I'll be down there from the time you guys start till 
depends on how much we, we were served that night. But Sometimes Tyler right. kicking we us will, out. I will, I will sit there and watch the audience turn a few times. So yeah, what what's it like playing on Broadway, which is what Nashville is, for better or for worse, known for? What is it like playing for that audience? And you've played it for how many years, Ronnie? With Tillbilly Casino for almost 16, maybe. Wow. Okay, so 16 years with Hillbilly Casino. What is it like playing down on Broadway? It's a lot of fun. It, it started, you know... When we started there, I mean, Layla's it, Layla was was still Layla's was still kind of a dive, tiny little stage. But we started there like they had booths in the place and all this kind of stuff, and it was and they didn't have the upstairs. I think the door used to be on the other side where you came exactly. in, exactly, and the stage as well. And the stage was like not even a foot high off the ground. We we'd get a lot of people in there. It was really it was really cool, and a lot of a lot of fans, a lot of friends, stuff like that. But, you know, that scenes come and go. And then Nashville just starts growing more down there. Lower Broadway starts growing. You know, they got the they got the Titans and the Predators now. You got all these people coming to town for games, this and that. Or people come to town just because of that Nashville show. So places like the Bluebird Cafe, you know, which I used to be able to just go to and just pop in and hear friends of mine playing there on Monday nights or whatever. Now you, I'd have to get with a guy doing a gig and get on his guest list because it'd be so packed to the gills. But now there's so many right. people on Lower Broadway. But it used to be like you could just park a lot of times, just park right in front of the club, load your gear. And now now it's like you got these barriers up. It's so crowded down there. I, I love to go down there and play. I hate loading in and loading out because it's so busy. It's so crazy. There's hundreds of cabs down there. Just getting the people in there and they, and just them digging the music. A lot of people had never seen bands like us. They go in these all these clubs up and down Lower Broadway and, and pretty much all you see, and I'm not putting them down because there are tons of great musicians but you kind of see the same thing, with the exception of maybe Roberts. Absolutely. You know, right next door. True. Roberts, I'm sure both y'all know, honky-tonk, classic country, not a lot of, not really any pop country at all. So you get that good dose of it at Roberts, even though they got just some incredible guitar players. Most of the bands, they're, they're country bands, or they're playing classic rock with their country, this and that. But they come and they see our band with our upright bass and me and my crazy looking guitars and we're all dressed cool or whatever and our singer is just this wild man that's just you know, hanging literally hanging from the rafters <laughs> literally <laughs> you know jumping up and down hanging over people as they're walking out the door you know what i mean but just going nuts hey well and, speak, uh, speaking of that what's the difference of the ronnie off stage versus the ronnie on stage on stage i mean i'm is it two personas big difference like i I, I mean, I'd put a lot of energy into my playing. I, yeah. Nick is kind of the focal point of the band. I kind of lay back and let him do his thing. But, I, you know, when it's my time to shine, I like to just step up to the front of the stage. I mean, I'm not a whirling dervish up there or anything. People seem to think that the, the band as a whole, the energy is really through the roof. Kind of think um, I feel like I'm kind of the same person. I think the difference would be if there's a difference in me, it's it's when I play solo like when i when i step up to the mic and sing a song or when i'm doing my solo gig or whatever then i'm a lot more talkative and engaging with the audience when it's with hillbilly casino i kind of just lay back and let nick do all the talking he's the singer he's the front man he's got the gift of gab and i appreciate your uh renditions of johnny cash and you know when you get up there it's a johnny cash song i'm thinking about one part of the time one piece at a time piece piece at a time yeah. and man that's like a 10 minute song it's awesome oh yeah oh yeah yeah that's so you uh, go that's... you go from a high energy basically a cover I guess all of downtown's cover songs, right? You really you get to branch out a little bit on a couple tunes, but mm-hmm. so you go from this high energy Broadway, get the people in, 
bring them in, keep them dancing, keep them entertained. And that's Friday. Uh -huh. And then we switch gears a little bit on Saturday, Ronnie, and we go to Sambuca. <laughs> right. Sambuca is a treasure in Nashville. It's yeah, don't tell, do, don't tell everybody about that place. What's that? I said, don't tell everybody about that place. No, this is cool. So, but it's <laughs> no, it a cool. dinner. It's a it's it's basically a dinner a dinner venue. Great food with live entertainment. So, right, and it's off of Broadway a, a little bit. So, tell us about the difference between playing straight up on Broadway and playing off of Broadway in in a venue um, like Sambuca. Yeah, off of Broadway. Now that place, because a lot of places off Broadway, but Sambuca is kind of its own little thing. It's a, it's a it's a dinner club, you know, and they have bands play there seven nights a week. We're a lot more tame there. We can't we can't be up there just doing our big throwdown. We don't do stuff like Hot for Teacher. Or, <laughs> Or, uh, you know, we don't play Ramones. We'll do a lot of originals, but we keep it towards, we don't do songs like The Hole, really ever do Violets in May, that sort of thing. We keep it more rockabilly, so we'll do our mm -hmm. more safe music, I guess you'd say. Which those two songs are original Hillbilly Casino songs. Yeah. Actually, kind of leads me into my next question. So you have a quote-unquote lower Broadway set, right? Where you're going right. to play, what folks coming into town play. If, if people are lucky, they get to see the high watt. Mercy Lounge, X yeah. Hillbilly Casino Show. Walk us through the difference between the Lower Broadway thing and the quote-unquote Hillbilly Casino Show. Hillbilly Casino Show, for the most part, with the exception of maybe one or two tunes, is all original music, and we are tearing the place apart. No holds barred. <laughs> Anything goes, and it's pretty rocking. I got to say, and those are those are my favorite ones to do. And it's all about us, you know. I mean, it's it's not about begging people for tips, that sort of thing, so we can all make a decent living and that sort of stuff. We're we're the attraction, we're the artist. You know, and we can be that way opening for another artist as well, but we had the occasional show at the um Exit Inn, which we've actually sold it out a couple of times. We did a our we did our live album there, Live in USA. We did that there. That was a sellout. It is and it's nice to know that people appreci appreciate us that way, like a concert band or whatever. Right. Go see a concert and hear our music. It's a big difference. You know, there's times when we thought, especially in this last year where we thought maybe playing the, the Laylas and the Sambucas hasn't been beneficial to us, you know. On the one hand we all make a good living. The other hand where we should be concentrating more on being bigger on the music scene the national music scene or whatever I, I like it all i like all aspects of it i like the sambuca gig certain reasons i love the layla's gig for certain reasons i i love our our uh, showcase gigs at the clubs where we just do our stuff because that makes me feel like that makes me feel like bands that I liked, like Jason and the Scorchers and the Stray Cats. I could go see this band in a theater or a club, just hear all their original music. I could stand right in front of the stage, see my favorite guitar player or whatever right in front of me. Unlike saying going to an arena or whatever and being back in the nosebleeds and having to look at the the big monitor screen in the middle of the place. I loved all aspects of it. I, well, what's what's the difference between a day and a bad day? Now you guys. You get up on stage, and I'm sure there's good shows, and there's, and I'm not gonna say it's bad shows. It's just not, not great. What's the difference between those? If it's a showcase show, they're usually always good. I mean, you know, we might think it wasn't our best show, but there are a lot of people that will come away going, "Man, you guys tore it up." Yeah, but you guys got to leave that stage at times going, "Wow." Well, you know, there might be maybe somebody was singing out of key, or or somebody flubbed a song intro or whatever. You just got to go on with it. And you know, honestly, I've seen some of my favorite bands do that. I mean, <laughs> one of the biggest bands in rock and roll, you go see David Lee Roth fronted Van Halen, and you're going to hear a lot of that stuff. 
stuff you're gonna hear. Don't look at David Lee Roth now. Some coming in with the wrong parts or the wrong vocals or whatever. But it's still it's fun. It's rock and roll, and you you just don't worry about it, man. It's like you had a good time. People had a good time. We a lot of times we say warts and all. You know, it was a great show, warts and all. Yeah, but are there and, are there nights when you walk out of Layla's going, holy shit? Oh, if it's a dead night, because a lot of times the people down. I mean, there, holy shit in a good way. What's that now? I mean, holy shit in a good way. Like, wow, that was you know we haven't oh, had a yeah. show like that in weeks. Well, the thing about Layla's is usually by the night that it's not packed with people. I hate to say it. A lot of the people just they're touristy. They're people that that don't get what we do. When we start, we pack it shoulder to shoulder. I mean, you can't move in that place. And then maybe it might be like that for an hour. And then you start seeing people come. You'll start seeing the whole crowd, like like Darren said earlier. You know, the crowd will turn two or three times. And then uh, you know, maybe towards the end of the night, not so many people in there. But it's just like they they don't like our music, or they were just they want to hear somebody sing big and rich or yeah but don't you just think that's the whole nashville <laughs> that's the nashville thing people are like oh we got to go to this bar we got to go to that bar right right yeah i think you get a lot of that so so ronnie how does a band that's playing what i would call amped up rockabilly chuck in the vein of chuck berry early elvis and then your solo stuff or not your solo stuff but the band stuff is influenced by that on a higher level how do you go from that to getting a tour with a rap slash R&B artist named Yellow Wolf? How, how does that happen? How did the tour happen? Yeah. How do we go from <laughs> we're playing this great, and I would say, as, and Nick would say, American music, right? Right. This old, quote unquote, old school American music to going on tour for how many weeks with Yellow Wolf? That was two straight months, eight weeks touring. We played a gig. At the Flying Saucer there on lower, right off of Broadway there, you know, with the yeah. Union Station. Yellow Wolf was there. I had no clue who he is. And if it's possible, I still wouldn't know who he is. Not detriment to him. I I just don't. I'm out of the loop with that kind of music. I got a respect, a big respect for it, being, being on tour with him. He was at one of our gigs. We played a New Year's Eve gig there at the, the Flying Saucer. He was talking to our bass player. <laughs> He goes, yeah, my girlfriend sees y'all down on Lower Broadway sometimes, you know, so I had to come check y'all out. I still didn't know who he was. And forgive me for saying it, I hope it doesn't sound stupid or whatever. When he said Yellow Wolf, I'd never seen the guy, never heard his music. We're getting ready to do our live album, our live album recording. And Jeff's like, yeah, man, I, Yellow Wolf's gonna, he's gonna rap on the whole with us. <laughs> and we're like, whoa. I was like, damn, all right. So we're, we, re we rehearsed the night before and I get to the I get to the rehearsal. I see this guy down there. He's got like this red, like Billy Jack hat on, you know? And I'm like, Hey man, how are you, man? I said, I said, what's your, and I, I didn't know him. I never don't recall ever seeing a guy. And I said, Hey man, what's your name again? You know, kind of BS him a little bit. Cause I, I don't like to tell people I don't know them. I might know a lot of people by their faces, but I don't remember their names. But I, anyway, I was just like, what's your name again? He goes, Michael yellow wolf. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, all right. Cool, man. I didn't know him, but then, you know, not long after that, it's like, hey, we're doing a tour with Yellow Wolf. Two straight months. It was it was something else. We went all across the country. We pretty much hit almost all of the lower 48. I'd say, I, I think we hit 44 states, maybe. But yeah, two straight months of touring, and it was, it was grueling. Now, we went out there and we opened up for a guy that's blowing up in the hip-hop world. So you get a lot of, there's a big hip-hop crowd out there, and you got this band that's doing, like, rockabilly. But, you know, we got other stuff like The Hole and Violence in May, and we kind of exposed them to that music. There were some people that 
absolutely hated us. But then there was people that, man, you guys are something else. I've never heard a band like y'all before. Right. And it went over really well for us. And we, we still got a lot of fans just from opening for Yellow Wolf. As, as we did when we toured with, with uh, Brian Setzer, it's like, they're like, yeah, the first time I saw y'all was on that Brian Setzer tour. They're like, man, you fans have hung in there with us. How and when did the Europe stuff start? With Hillbilly Casino? Yeah. The first time we went over there, we went and played Kilkenny, Ireland. Played there two years in a row. Did a festival there, and we did we did some Dublin gigs as well. So back up, how did you guys even say, hey, we're going to Europe? The Irish part of it was from when Nick was in the Blue Moon Boys, and his band had played there. So Nick had the connection. He knew the promoter. So we've been over there actually three times. We were actually over there just a few years ago, and it was, oh, it was so fun. I love that. That's one of my favorite places to be in the world. It's Kilkenny, Ireland, during that time. <laughs> Uh, we did a tour of uh, Germany, like Germany and Holland. We did probably, and I'm going to say 2008, 2009, maybe. I, I don't remember how we did that. I think we, some other artist friends of ours, put us in touch with some people, so we booked a tour over there. That was that went okay. Uh, we went there during World Cup. Maybe it was 2008. Bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, hey, we're trying to watch World Cup. Can you guys, like, you know, shut the f up? That sort of thing. But we did have some good shows there. Now, we've been to Europe a few times. We've, we've been over there. We played this uh, festival in, in Finland, um, Midsummer Jamboree. Played that, that a, a bunch of times. Was that in Helsinki? That is, in, I feel like it was in a city called Vimala, maybe. Yeah. It wasn't in Helsinki. And maybe uh, closer uh, later on, closer to Pori. But yeah, it was yeah. We did we did do a tour. We did a four night tour in in Finland one time. We played Helsinki on New Year's Eve. We played <laughs> Turku, Tampere, Helsinki, some other city, maybe Pori. That was a lot of fun. We we toured there with two other bands, and we all rode around all the bands in one big sprinter van playing all these clubs. It was a lot of fun. We actually opened for a band. I think we were second on the bill or something like that. What's it like playing over yeah, there versus playing here? Some of that stuff is, is kind of the same. It just depends. You know, it depends on where you go. If you got small pockets of people that love you. They know you're coming over. They're going to come see you. Some places people have never heard of you. There's times when it was a little underwhelming. The more we went there, the bigger we would get. we do okay. I mean, I, we've been there and played like Belgium, places like that. And you come up and people would come there like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm meeting <laughs> you guys. You know, it's that sort of thing. So you, your reputation starts getting around. And, and a lot of people in Europe have a, a bigger appreciation for it. There's there's that scene over there in Europe which likes that. You know, it's not like everybody in Europe is a rockabilly fan. It's kind of like it is here. But the people that like it love it. They absolutely love it. You guys have been in it long enough. You've gone from... Well, you've been in Nashville since 95. Hillbilly Casino started mm -hmm. in, what, 2005? Is that what I... Uh, 2004. So over that time, I mean, the internet, 95 to about 2001, 2002, really wasn't much. I mean, how much is music on iTunes or, you know, Google Play or whatever it is? Has that changed anything for you? It might mean less less sales at our merch table. Hmm. But, you know, there are people... Unless we sell vinyl, people love vinyl. Yeah. Um, I'm not such a big fan myself. I just, I don't see the appeal of it personally. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I like iPods. I like CDs and iPods. Right. That's me. I like my music to go with me. And an iPod is one of the most perfect things ever created. And why do you got to mess with it? Speaking um, of vinyl, I need to get this thing All right. Signed. I'm glad. I'm glad people <laughs> buy it. I'm, I'm so, it makes me happy when they buy it because it's money in our pockets. And I'm not putting vinyl down. You know, I got some people like, oh man, if you listen to it on the right equipment, Nothing sounds better, and that and I, I agree. But uh, for me, it's 
the spirit of the song, the feel of the song, whatever that gets me. I can listen to it through a phone speaker and, and right. love it. We sell stuff online every now and then. We'll get a check from cdbaby.com. I think that things like Spotify has really hurt a lot of bands that get airplay. 100% agreed. Agreed. I've never, my solo album, I've never put it out on any of that stuff because I want people to buy my CD. I don't want you to download it on Spotify. What, what has inspired you early on, before Nashville, then you get to Nashville? I mean, what inspires you during those? Because I, I think you break up your life in terms of music. How has uh-huh. it changed over the years for you? You know, what's inspired you and your playing? Because, you know, I've watched you on Facebook and you on your all your Crochero stuff, you play everything. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I like so many different kinds of music. You know what really made me start feel to feel music was when I was in seventh grade band and I was in beginning band. There was like three beginning band classes and we had to do one of our concerts, like our winter concert or spring concert. And I remember when all three classes got together and we did the songs, we, you know, we all worked on the same songs. We all played them together. It was just like, I was like, oh my gosh, man, the way everything's coming together, that it just, it struck a nerve in me, you know, it struck a chord in me. I just, I've always liked that. I just like the way to play with each other and stuff like that. Playing off of each other and this and that, how that works out. It was just a great feeling. It almost like gave me goosebumps. But my dad had, had guitars laying around the house and stuff like that. Songbook, which I still have it in here. I think I'm, it's probably sitting a foot away from me right now somewhere. I'd have to dig it up. But I started learning to play chords out of that. And I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just, I when I, I could like draw and stuff as a kid, you know, pretty good, decent artist. I, I had the raw skills. When I started to learn how to play music, that was it for me. I think Ronnie will find good in no matter what music it is. Sounds like. Yeah. I mean, if it just moves me, I mean, I, I don't know. It could be anything. It, it could right. be hip hop. I don't listen to hip hop, but it could be, it could be that. It could be polka music. I mean, there's, I don't know. It's. I don't. I mean, I don't want to get mystical, metaphysical about it, but sometimes just those certain vibrations, just they kind of, you know, without sounding corny, just kind of move your soul. I think when I started learning how to play guitar, and I would just noodle on it because I never took lessons or anything like that. I would just noodle, and I would just find things that would just droney stuff, you know that. You know, that would just move me. I just I just love the way that stuff sounded, and I would just play it over and over. And music's always been kind of a medicine to me. I was a laborer for block basins, you know, one of my first jobs out of high school. And I would come home dirty and hot and sweaty, and I'd get my guitar out, and I would play that guitar for an hour, and I would just... I would feel amazing when I was done. And I would just know, like, parts of song, but it would just make me feel good. I'm listening to all these different bands and stuff. Just certain things they did. I mean, I liked, like, I don't know. I I think when I started hearing bands like Jason and the Scorchers and stuff like that, there was a certain guitar lick that, that Warner was playing, and he didn't originate it. He didn't make it up, but he used it a lot. He made it. Oh, my gosh, that that is just, like, rocking my world, man. I got to learn how to do that. That sort of thing. I never tried to become like this great Eddie Van Halen type guitar player, some shred guitar player, even though I love those bands. Well, I'd put, I I'd put you up against him. Well, I'd probably get embarrassed, but... Um, I doubt that. I've seen <laughs> I'm you sure play. I'm sure I can play some stuff that he can't play. Maybe I can play some stuff he can't play, but I'll tell you what, he's, he's something else. 
and I, I love them dearly now for sure. I grew a new appreciation for it. But I was always different. Like I never liked anything when it was popular. I like it when it's not popular. And it's it's not that's not something I go for. It's just how it seems to be. Like rockabilly. Stray Cats came out on MTV. I couldn't give a hoot about them. I liked what I like. I mean, <laughs> I was listening to like Christian rock bands and stuff back in the day. The Resurrection Band, bands like that. Great bands too. I didn't care about the Stray Cats. But I was watching MTV and I was aware of them. I thought they were all right. But, I, you know, somebody struck a chord at me was Stevie Ray Vaughan. I think one thing that gets me about stuff is like I like a mix of different ingredients in music. That's one of the reasons I think I like Jason and the Scorchers so much, because they had this this uh, singer that had a very country sounding voice. But this band that was just rocking behind. I was like, where was that at? You know, I was like, that's that moved me. I was like, man, I like that combination. To me, the Stray Cats were just like a throwback to like Happy Days or something. And I, I'm not yeah. putting them down. I just, because I love them. And I'm, that's been my bread and butter. But at the time, I just thought this is just like a throwback. Not, and I wasn't wise. I wasn't hip to the music. I wasn't wise to it. But then a buddy of mine, we're all having, you know, little friends get together, everybody and their girlfriends and stuff. He has this tape that the Stray Cats had broken up. Brian Setzer comes out with The Knife Feels Like Justice, and he's playing this acoustic 12 string. He's got finger picks on. I'm like, oh, man, that looks cool. And I love that song. It was cool, you know, that The Knife Feels Like Justice, a beautiful song. And then Phantom Rocker and Slick, you know, those two guys in Stray Cats, they come out with Men Without Shame. And I'm just like, oh, my, that, it was it touched going you. towards rockabilly, but it wasn't rockabilly, but it was just like, oh, my God, this it was a gateway for me. So I got into that. Like I bought Brian Setzer's solo album and the Phantom Rock and Slick album before I ever had any Stray Cat stuff. And so we were hanging out with some friends. This buddy of mine gives me a tape, the Stray Cats, and it's an album called Brock Therapy. It was just like like something that was thrown together. It was like, okay, the bands broke up. We got one more record we had to put out. I take this tape and I pop it in and it just, the guitar playing just blew my mind. It was just like the heavens opened up. That was all I lived in breathed for was hearing brian sets or play guitar i think i have and that demo actually i think do you have that do you have the demo version rock therapy? of rock therapy i think i have that oh if you don't God. have it no I'll, i ain't got it darren I mean, i'll <laughs> double check but, and i'll get you a copy of it but oh my I think God. I have those demo tapes talk about how did you get to go to japan as a solo i didn't go to Ronnie. japan as a solo artist i went to france france Not okay Okay, I'm sorry. Um, France, I'm playing with with Jeff and this guy named Slick Andrews, who was just this kind of... Jeff Firebaugh? Yeah, Jeff Firebaugh, a bass player. This was pre-Hillbilly Casino. Mm -hmm. and this guy named Slick Andrews, who's this honky-tonk kind of country guy. He could do old-school rockabilly like nobody's business. So he'd look cool. you get Ernest Tubb cowboy hat cocked to the side, slick back hair, would wear cool suits. And so when you first used to walk into Layla's, see, back in the day, Layla's was called the, the Wagon Burner. The, the history of Layla's is like, it used to be this shithole club. <laughs> oh, that's not, that's okay <laughs> no, to say fine. that. <laughs> I said, we say all those words on here. Shithole with a capital S, and the Wagon Burner was what it was called. And you had this old lady in there that looked like a 70-year-old Hooters girl. Um, <laughs> that's you know, jet black hair. Wearing her little orange. Right. I'm not going to sleep like tonight. That's outfit. crazy. <laughs> She's still anyway, there. I used to play there with this, this girl <laughs> named Autumn Haley, and I stumbled in on it. And I I met the Wagon Burner. I met so many cool people. And then, hell, when it was the Wagon Burner, I met Doug Dillard there from the Dillards, you know, if you know that band. The band that was on Andy Griffith, the Bluegrass Family, the Darlings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The banjo player, Doug Dillard, 
Wow. Was in there one night, and I just lost, like, oh, my God, it's Doug Dillard. I can't believe I'm meeting this guy. That's, that's, you know, that's the guy that played banjo on the Glenn Campbell song, Gentle on My Mind. Gentle on My Mind, yeah. Um, and just and the Dillards. I mean, I love them so much. Playing at, at Layla's, it's not the wagon burner anymore. What it was was so when you walked into Layla's, it, was, it still looked like the wagon burner. It just had a different name on it. Jim and Layla's is what it was called. It used to be on the artist known as Joe Buck. Used to be married to Layla. They bought the club from Robert, who was the original owner of Robert's. He bought the wagon burner and made it a bluegrass-only club called Bluegrass Inn. Then he sold Robert's and the bluegrass. He sold the bluegrass to Jim and Layla, who used to play there all the time with their own band. But it still looked like the wagon burner. And so it had like a little brick partition sitting there with some stone, flat stone on top of it. And I used to set my effects pedals up there. I worked my effects on my hands, you know, rather than my feet, because we had five or six guys in the band when I I joined that band when they already had four or five guys. And so I put my effects up on this little partition. We're in there playing one night. We're down to a four-piece, but I see this guy in there, him and his girlfriend, and he's he's looking at all my pedals, and he's watching me play and saying stuff to his wife or girlfriend or whatever. And he comes to talk to me, takes out his little book, and he's looking for translations. So I figure out he's from France, and he just loves my guitar playing. And he wants me to come over. We talk on the break. He wants me to come to France and play over there. And I was like, wow, that's that's something else. So I, I go over there as a solo artist. And I, I didn't have any music or anything to sell. I just, they look at it differently over there. They, you know, in some of these smaller towns in France, they don't get stuff like that. You play these things and just all these people show up. You might play a little bar or club. It's just packed to the gills. And they're like, oh, they put an article out about me in the newspaper, like I'm this big star. It was it was surreal because I I don't feel very deserving of it to be honest with you. You know, being from the U.S., this ain't this isn't how we're treated in the U.S. playing in bands. It's like, hey man, you're here to get your shit in the club so I can <laughs> get out of my way. You're double parked. But in France, you know, in some of those places, they revere it. It was really cool. I went over there and I, you know, we rehearsed. It's mostly original. I mean, mostly covers, but a few original tunes. And that was, you know, being, playing music has afforded me to be able to go see a lot of cool places and stuff. Save my money up to go do it or whatever, or, or I couldn't afford it. It was. I thought it was amazing. And the band was called the Dashboard Hula Girls because that was the name of the band that I put together <laughs> with Matt, our drummer Matt, who I wasn't used to in have one of those. I, I know. I saw it somewhere, and I was like, "Man, that'd be the coolest name for a band, the Dashboard Hula Girls." You know, there's no girls in the band, but now the good, my buddy that brought me over there was just thought that was the coolest thing ever. The Dashboard Hula Girls. That's what we called the band in France. He put a band together for, and we were called the Dashboard Hula Girls. Nice. But yeah, it was it was amazing. I I love being over there so much, man. I it's a typical phenomena for people that go to another country and experience a culture like that that you get so enamored with. Like when I left, I I got a little emotional. <laughs> you know, it was so cool because I got treated so good. The people were so nice. So Ronnie, tell us about your solo album, Crutch Arrow. So that I love listening to instrumental music. The Ventures, probably the first instrumental band that I think I really got into. You hear bands like Blow Straight Jackets or even the straight, the earliest Stray Cat stuff. You know, they put out a song called Wicked Whiskey. I loved instrumental stuff. Van Halen, you know, Spanish Fly or Eruption, just stuff like that. But just I, that kind of thing has always moved me. So I would write instrumentals my own, and I'd been doing it since the 80s and making songs on a little four track recorder. For years, you know, I just kept talking about, man, one of these days I'm putting out an instrumental album. You know, I'm in my mid-40s. I'm like, man, it is time to, you know what, or get off the pot. I was talking to our drummer, our ex-drummer about it. 
and I wanted to record at his place because that's where Hillbilly Casino had recorded our stuff. And so we were kind of cutting some demos. We were just trying some things out. I had I saw Kevin. I think I was still was I still playing with Brian. I don't know if I was playing with Brian at the time. Yeah, I think it may have been after the fact when I was no longer in that band. But I saw the the piano player Kevin McKendry. I saw him in a at Third and Lindsley in Nashville, and I he walked by me. He didn't know I was there, and I was like, "Hey, Kevin!" You know, I hadn't seen him in like a year. And we go outside, and we're talking, and you know, we've both been drinking, and we're sitting in my van, and I'm like, "Hey, listen to these demos, you know, Ronnie. That stuff sounds pretty good, man." He goes, "But I got to tell you, you need to come to my studio and record your album there." Look here, man. I get the sounds, and he wasn't being. He wasn't being braggadocious or anything. He was just like, it's just, he was right. He, he knew what he was talking about. He's professional. He doesn't brag on himself. He just, if he tells you he's a badass, it's because it's the truth. Right. I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm, you know, I'm always one of those guys, I'm not hurt my buddy's feelings. He goes, dude, he goes, you want to make a good sounding album or not? That album sounds like, what you did, it sounds okay. But he goes, man, I, I get the sounds. Money's not, I told him I can't, I can't afford to play at your place because dude money's not an issue i'm not doing it because i want you to pay me i want to do this album i have built that studio to make music with my friends i talked to our drummer ex-drummer and he's like dude go record at his place he goes seriously my feelings aren't hurt at all my studio's here his studio's up here you know i mean kevin's recorded grammy winning and grammy nominated albums at that studio he's recorded little richard there wow he recorded little richard at that little studio and he played piano on Little Richard's album. Little Richard sitting next to him while he played piano, and Little Richard's going, "Ooh, ooh, <laughs> just like you're good, whatever." Kevin's <laughs> got a great honky tonk rockabilly feel. Oh yeah, he's incredible. Have you seen the? I don't know if you're friends with him on Facebook. Are you? I'm not, Kevin. No. Dude, you got to hear the song he did. He's done some instrumentals. I'm, I'm, I'm looking where he plays all the instruments. He has a new one. It's, it's it's Euro something. I don't know what it's called, but it's a guitar instrumental, like a 60s almost spy thing. It is one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. Anyway, so I go there and I re- I, I start recording my album there. And I, I had been writing all these songs for years, but they were half finished. So I just kind of buckled down and finished them to where I thought they were good songs. And I went there and I recorded everything. He let, let me record through my big... 63 bass because that's the sound he goes i want you to get i want to hear what ronnie crutcher likes to sound like when he's playing live and so i used that amp and it was loud as crap it got the sounds so it was a great experience and i it it took me probably a year to record the whole thing because i would he cut me he gave me such a good deal but at the same time you know it's like i got in there when i could get in there and it might be for a day at a time or two days at a time i went in there and i just cut all the parts he worked with me it was just Sometimes I'd stay and have dinner with him and his family, and it was just a great experience. And I had some cool players on it, and Kevin played played keys on some of the stuff and just murdered, not murdered it in a bad way, murdered it in a good way. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> agreed. You know, we have bought that album and shipped it all over the U.S. to for yeah. friends of ours because it's it's just a great album. There's a mix of there's seriously rock on there. There's bluegrass on there there's blues on there there's rockabilly on there there's something for everybody and it's a good mix it's not the same stuff over and over and over again you know it's like just yeah. stuff that i wrote things that move me and some of the songs would take me a while to write because i just i wouldn't write it just to write something it's like it's got to be the perfect ingredient part to come into my head that's going to work in this song then so be it you know right it's right. like i wouldn't i wouldn't compromise it that album it was a labor of love man it was uh something i'm I'm still super proud when I hear it. Even now, I don't listen to it as much as I used to. But when I hear it, I'm like, 
man, that's a damn good record. <laughs> it holds up. It's it's well yeah. done sonically. I mean, you can yeah. you can listen to it in the car. It 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 sounds. I mean, it's it's a great album. And I've got you know how many copies of it, but I just love the diversity of that album. Yeah, it's not something that I did to show off how good I thought I was on guitar. It wasn't I wasn't out to impress anybody with it. I did it for myself. I did. It was like it was like my art. It was like me painting a picture. You know. Right. That's exactly what it was, and it was it was art to me. There's nothing on that album that's me jamming. That's me just shredding for the for the hell of it. You know. Okay, I'm just gonna play this cool little blues solo right here. Nothing was like that. Everything was planned out. Every every note on that album is like a lyric to a song. Well, I think that's important to a listener. They're not excuses for guitar solos. Yeah. They're songs. Yeah, they're songs. Actually, songs is melody. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of parts to that. It's not an excuse to hear Ronnie play guitar solos. I mean, it's a it's a good it's a really good album. So yeah. Speaking of that, speaking that, Ronnie, play us uh, something there. All right, let's see. What are you gonna play? play, um, (laughs) Is that too loud? So uh, this is uh, this is the title cut. I'm just gonna play part of it. The intro, the whole song is. <laughs> I'd have to rehearse it just to sit there and play all the way through it. But uh, <laughs> it's enough. It's Thank enough to uh, let your appetite. I think I'm out of tune. But yeah, uh, Crutchero. So that is what I wanted to do. I guess my lead up to it is I wanted. I loved Brian Setzer's version of Malaganya so much. I thought, man, that's just so rocking, and it's badass, and it's Spanish, and who doesn't love that song, Malaganya? Who doesn't learn to play that when they first start learning how to play guitar? It's one of those things you mess around with, but he did such a good version of it. I can answer that question, Ronnie. Tony has not learned to play that song on guitar. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But everybody, everybody, knows how to, everybody knows how to go. So anyway, I'm like, I thought about covering. I was like, what's the point in covering that song? Mm-hmm. His version of it. It's 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 silly. So I was like, I have to make up my own version of Malaganya, a Spanish type song. And so I just started messing around. Ridiculous name for it called, and I it was, it was a Spanish name is Balai de los Muertos, which is Dance of the Dead. And I'm like, <laughs> that's so stupid and contrived. And I'm just like, I gotta have a different name for it. And I'm just like. I thought about how, like, when people goof on speaking Spanish, they put an O on the end of everything, you know. <laughs> so I said, Crutchero. I was like, that would sound kind of cool, actually. That's 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 kind of neat, Crutchero, you know. And that's kind of a moniker that stuck with me, man. Like, a lot of, that's how a lot of people refer to me as Crutchero. They're like, hey, Crutchero, blah, 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 <laughs> you know. So here's that. Here's um, a little bit of that song. <laughs> Thank you. 
No, man, it's excellent. But yeah, excellent. I, I love it. It's it's uh, I had a lot of fun doing that song. So I paid three hundred dollars for um for like an Ibanez <laughs> Spanish classical guitar just to play on that song. So there you go. I was dedicated. <laughs> there you go. So, so where can where can our listeners find out about Ronnie Crutcher? I mean, I know you got a Facebook page. You're doing the Crutchero. Uh, webcast every couple weeks which are phenomenal yeah. and and you know i don't know when we're going to drop this but if we're doing it and ronnie is still doing those webcasts get on there because it's 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 a lesson in guitar it's it's music from multiple genres you did hot girl in the city the other uh, one yeah <laughs> and it was it was super cool doing guitar lessons i do i can access you and take guitar lessons or bass lessons or banjo lessons yep. or mandolin yep. or harmonica yeah. So, how do yeah. they get in touch with you on that? Um, I've been advertising that on Facebook, um, and I would just I always suggest that people just private private message me if they're interested. Ronnie that Crutcher. Way, what's that? Ronnie Crutcher. Yes. Um, and uh, you know, there's I, I know there's probably more than one of us out there, but you know, there's not that many. Well, there's but, only yeah. one that plays guitar like you. Yeah. Uh, my my I think my title under my name is Guitars and Naps at Hillbilly Casino. Um, <laughs> Yes, I, I just usually advertise on Facebook and that sort of thing. I used to do it on Instagram, too. I don't get on Instagram very much. I probably should more from a business standpoint, but I just, you know, one social media account's enough. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a webcast. I'm doing one tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, Central Daylight Time. Me and my girlfriend, Jillian Grace, we're doing our little, um, we have a little duo called The Beverly Others, where we do like Everly Brothers songs. And she sings a, she sings a few songs herself. So yeah, we're doing that at seven o'clock, and those are a lot of fun. It's it's not having played since the whole COVID thing, you know, the lockdowns, all that kind of stuff. Not having played out live, playing in a entertainment for other people capacity has been really fun. And so it's hard for me to keep it at an hour. I'm just getting started when the hour clock rolls around. So yeah, <laughs> your yeah. first shows have been three and a half hours. Three hours, yeah, yeah exactly. For yeah. those of you that so, have not experienced Ronnie Crutcher on Facebook Live, you got to do it. I mean, you're going to get entertainment, and it's not going to stop. Yeah, it's he, fun, he, man. He's it's like the entertainer bunny. I'm probably going to miss it to a degree when, when things get back to normal and bands are out playing live. It, it's kind of been a way for me to branch out and do a few different things. It's like, you know. One of the questions I had is, you know, the Facebook Live gigs that you're doing, how's that changed, I don't know, your take on music? You know, how has it connected to you to more people, that type of thing? Like I have a lot of friends like around the country, like say people from my home state, you know, Florida, my hometown down there in Lakeland, Florida. It's like people will watch it from down there and they're like, they don't really know so much about Hillbilly Casino and don't really look into it so much. You know, I mean, some of them might. They just want to hear me. They're like, oh, I always knew you, you know, I always knew you were going to be a musician, blah, blah, blah. And so they might want to hear me do like some Tom Petty or something, which I love, you know, so I might pull a Tom Petty song or Nick Gilder, you know, do Hot Child in the City. Right. Um, well, that's just stuff that I like, that I generally like to do. I can't just do everything I want in Hillbilly Casino. And it's like, and besides, I'm not the lead singer in that band anyway. You know, my job is to play guitar and sing backup vocals. Or Hooked on a Feeling. No. Yeah, Hooked on a Feeling. <laughs> yeah, right. Great song, man. Hey, if, if um, y'all haven't gone to Facebook and, and looked at Ron, at Los Cracheros. 
Los Crucheros, no, it's Los Crucherosos. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a, there's a little difference there, but Dude, yeah. That's awesome. Um, that's, yeah, that stuff is fun. That For me, that's kept me busy and it's, it's kept me kind of creative and, you know, humor is a, a big part of my, I like it a lot of things in a humorous way and that was a way for me to be funny do songs that I really like, you know, and just bits of songs. I, I don't know if y'all have seen the Hard Luck Woman one I did yet, where I actually did an entire song, yeah. entire Kiss song, yeah, you know, it. and I, I just love doing that stuff, man. Love it. I, I think the, the the whole the Los Crutcherosos is, is because I want to do these songs. I want to play them, but nobody wants to see my face in six different frames, you know? Like, <laughs> one's probably okay, but, it, but you know, when you see all the different guys. Nacho Libre. All the the different mass, it looks like there's, even when I look at it, it's like I'm looking at four or five, six different people. I'm not looking at me. Right. And that's it. what makes it fun. It's like, oh, La Parca is playing lead guitar, and then you've got Mil Mascaris playing right. harmonica <laughs> or something. But it's fun. It just, it's humorous. And it, it, people see the wrestling mass, they, they, it catches their eyes. And if they hear it, you know, they might like the song. Or but I just do whatever song I feel like. And I've got I got a couple of things I don't want to say what they are because I want them to be surprises. But if I can pull them off, it's going to be it's going to be pretty cool. Doing that stuff, it's like the old, I don't know if y'all ever used the old four-track tape machines, you know, playing guitar and stuff. But it's kind of like doing that. The, that app is really user-friendly. But I have to get everything in one take. I have to, I have to get a good take. Like I can't go back and fix little things in it. I just have to get it. And, There's no cutting and, on that. No, I, it's possible there is, but I tell you what, man, I'm not one of those people that is, you know, gets into all that sort of thing. So I'm like, I just got to play it right yeah. one time through, and it's a lot of fun. I love, I love to do the harmonies, all that sort of thing. It's just a way for me to express myself in as many ways as possible. So, well, man, we 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 love it, and you're reaching some people that you wouldn't normally be able to reach. Yeah. So I we we greatly appreciate it piece of advice already to a to a 20 something let's say a 20 something year old ronnie crutcher what would you give and, and it might be three things i don't know what it is but what's one piece of advice you would give to somebody that wants to make a living in this business and control their own destiny if you want to make a living in this business you need to be in a city where it's happening like nashville like a musical city if you want to get you got to get out and play you got to play you got to play in clubs Got to play in bars, play the opening of a letter, get out there and get yourself heard and work on your work on your craft, practice your guitar. I would say focus on this or that. But, you know, I've been my focus has been on dabbling in so many different instruments, just not because I thought everybody would think oh, I was so great. It's just because I love it. I have to get a piece of it. That has served me well to, to be able to teach. You know, I learned enough about all these instruments. So I can teach them even if I'm not. I'm no Earl Scruggs on banjo, but I'm all right and I can teach it person how to play it (laughs) same with guitar upright bass being a being an area where you know music gets heard where it's appreciated where people come to hear music that sort of thing so you know you could say like memphis or los angeles or new york or nashville you know places like that austin texas some things are changing in those cities even nashville you know i hate to say it they're kind of losing a little bit of what made them, you know, what they are. Hey, when, um, when do you think we'll see you guys next playing live again? Man, I hope by August. It's possible it could be earlier, maybe July. I'm hearing about more places opening up. Yeah, because right now they can only allow like two musicians on stage at any given yeah. time. In yeah, we're not going to do anything. We're not gonna, even going to attempt to do anything like that. Everybody's Everybody's got their own little side hustles and jobs and stuff like that, so... I hope by August, because there's some gigs that I really want to do 
that we had planned for, you know, looking forward to. We had, we had a gig, uh, we had a tour with the Reverend Horton Heat that was supposed to be coming up in just a few weeks that that's been canceled. So that really stunk. Yep. But yeah, I, I hope by August. But yeah, be in a city where, um, you know, music's being played and work on your crap and do what you love, man. Do do the kind of music you love, you know, and I you know it sounds corny, but be true to yourself. You don't got to play the same thing everybody else is playing. Listen to a lot of different kinds of music and mix your styles. And I've, I feel like I've always been that way. Create your own path, I guess. Well, man, That's how I look at it. <laughs> man, we, we have really appreciated this. And I think, let me just say from me, and, you know, Darren knows you a lot better than I do. But bottom line is I've been watching you guys play for four years. Nice, and thank I, you. I appreciate I appreciate what you guys do. Well, and thank I'm, you, man. We really and you know, Double Casino. We're kind of. I think one of the reasons that that band works, and I mean in the sense that you know we're able to to gel and play together as a band, because we all have so many different influences. It's like that's what works for me, and that's what works everybody. Because Nick and Jeff like hip hop. I can put that in the band, and and Matt and Jeff love metal. I can put that in the band, and we all love rockabilly, and we all love. Van Halen and put all these even if, if even if it's not in a, a, like a cover tune like say we could put the Van Halen influence in a, in a song of our own or a Metallica influence or a, the song the newest song we were working on before this whole COVID thing hit was a, a straight up bluegrass song Ralph Stanley style hmm. stuff we might play something that's totally I love me some Ralph Stanley yeah yeah, we oh, we got a pretty very cool bluegrass song uh, whenever we get back to playing we, we played a little bit before uh, everything went crazy yeah when we get back and start recording a new album i think we're gonna have a lot of really good material we've, we've got i've written some stuff nick's written some stuff it's gonna be some be some good things might be a few surprises out there well we're certainly looking forward to it you know tony and his wife jen were at your uh cd release party for the last album yeah that was so fun. we're definitely working looking forward to it thanks guys i appreciate it yeah wishing you guys the best get out there kick some thank ass very much I'm ready to hear you Thank you very much. I think that's it from Music City Scene. Darren, anything else? That's it, Ronnie. We love you, and uh, we'll listen to you tomorrow, man. We'll be on the be on the Facebook live cast. All right. Yeah, please do. That's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks so much, guys. Ronnie, right. play, play us out with whatever you want, and uh, we're going to cut this into uh, something from Crutch Hero. Crutch Hero. Oh. Let's do... I'm going to play Sleepwalk, man. I like playing instrumental songs. So...
Folks, that was version. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. That was awesome. Ronnie Crutcher, awesome. also with Hillbilly Casino. Check them out. Thank you, guys. We're out.